Turning in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis 49, and we want to read beginning at verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor, be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger. For it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Now if you'll turn back to Genesis chapter 34. And find your place there. We'll look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we pray this morning that you would through your word, by your spirit, revive us again, those who are saved. And Father, we pray that if there are any here who are lost today, that they would understand that the only way that they can be revived, the only way that they can be raised from the dead of their trespasses and sins is to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We pray that you might work in each heart today, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as we continue our studies of Jacob's final words to his son, sons, we want to finish our study of Simeon and Levi. Jacob's words here have taken us back to Genesis chapter 34 where we find the reason for his words of rebuke and his words of judgment for Simeon and Levi. We don't want to lose our place in Genesis chapter 49 because we'll be turning back there again in a few moments. But last week we looked at the actions of these two men. And there can be no doubt that their actions were wrong. The language here and the language that we have just read in chapter 49 make that very plain. Here in verse 13, we're told that the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor deceitfully. Their purpose was to deal treacherously. Their purpose was to mislead and to trick Shechem and Hamor and the men of Shalem. And I think it's worth noting Jacob's words in chapter 49 and verse 6, where he says of Simeon and Levi, O my soul, come not thou into their secret unto their assembly. And their secret plan that was hatched in their assembly was to talk these men 
into getting circumcised. And when they were incapacitated, when they were unable to stand and fight, then they would kill them. In Genesis 49 and verse 5, Jacob says that instruments of cruelty are in their habitation. We see uh, here in verse 26 that Simeon and Levi took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. And so immediately we might think that the instruments of cruelty that are in their habitation are their swords. But the swords of Simeon and Levi is not what Jacob is referring to. The word cruelty that Jacob uses there in chapter 49 is not a description of the swords of Simeon and Levi. It is a description of their anger and their wrath. Keep your place here and look back at chapter 47, um, chapter 49 and verse 7 and notice the words again. Jacob said, Cursed be their anger. For it was fierce and their wrath, for it was cruel. The instruments of cruelty that are in the habitation of Simeon and Levi are anger and wrath. Those are words that describe the hearts of Simeon and Levi. And it's an opportunity for us to think about something. A sword, like a gun or any other inanimate object for that matter, a knife or a rock or a hammer or a baseball bat, in and of itself, those things are not instruments of cruelty. It's only an instrument of cruelty when a human being with a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked picks it up and uses it as an instrument of cruelty carry out the fierceness of their anger and the cruelty of the wrath that's in their hearts. Jacob, in chapter 49, does not curse the swords of Simeon and Levi. He curses their anger. He curses the anger that poured forth from their hearts. Jacob understood something that is critically important. It's not the sword that's the problem. It's the heart of man that's the problem. And specifically, it was his sons that were the problem. And I mention this because we're living in a day when men believe and men are teaching the very opposite. The philosophy of our day in so many quarters is that it's not the man who's the problem. It's the gun that's the problem. And if we could just do away with guns, then everything would be fine. How ridiculous. That's why you read things like a young man who was convicted of killing his girlfriend. And he didn't use a gun. He used his hands to beat her head against the wall. So if the thinking of the liberals is is correct, then we need to ban hands and walls. What about water and bathtubs? You remember the woman in Texas who used the water in a bathtub to drown her children. 
or cars and ponds. It's what a South Carolina mother used to drown her children a number of years ago. You can ban all the instruments on earth, but you'll never eliminate the cruelty that we see and that we hear about all about in the world that we live in because cruelty is in the heart of man. In fact, the Lord Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 7 and verse 21 that murder is in the heart of man. Murder and cruelty are not in the instrument. They are resonant in, in the heart of man, and that includes my heart and your heart. It's instructive to think about from time to time that the first murder in all history in Genesis chapter 4 the Spirit of God doesn't tell us the instrument that Cain used to kill his brother Abel. And it's like that because the instrument isn't the issue. The issue was the heart of Cain. The issue was the anger and the wickedness and the hatred and the murder that was in his heart and that came out of his heart. And so Jacob in Genesis 49 is cursing the cruelty and the anger and the wrath of his sons. He's cursing all of these things that proceeded out of their hearts. And I'd like for us to think about the extent of the cruelty and the rebellion of Simeon and Levi. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 34. In verses 11 and 12, Shechem offers to pay whatever Jacob and his sons might ask as a dowry and a gift. And of course, what the sons of Jacob asked was for Shechem and the men of the city to be circumcised. But what's interested me about Shechem here is that in the midst of these circumstances, and we've talked in, in great detail about these circumstances. How he saw Dinah and he took Dinah and he lay with Dinah and he defiled her. This is not the normal order. This is not the right order for marriage. Folly, immorality had been wrought in Israel. Not only by Shechem but by Dinah. But yet in the midst of these circumstances Shechem doesn't deny what has happened. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't try to avoid responsibility for his part because he says to Jacob and to Dinah's brothers in, in verse 11, let me find grace in your eyes and what ye shall ask unto me I will give. Ask me never so much dowry and gift and I will give according as ye shall say unto me but give me the damsel to wife. And then in verse 19, and the young man deferred not to do the thing, that is, to be circumcised, because he had delight in Jacob's daughter, and he was more honorable than all the house of his father. Notice the last words concerning Shechem in verse 19. He was more honorable than all the house of his father. We need to remember that the Spirit of God wrote those words. And I've wondered in what way that Shechem could be described as more honorable. Well, 
I'd like for you to turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 22, if you will. Deuteronomy chapter 22. Because there is a verse here that I believe suggests to us why Shechem is referred to as being more honorable than all the house of his father. In this chapter, we have described a number of situations regarding sexual sins and the consequences for committing such sins. But the situation that we want to look at begins in verse 28. Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 28. If a man find a damsel that is a virgin, which is not betrothed, and lay hold on her and lie with her, and they be found. Then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he hath humbled her. He may not put her away all his days. I believe, if you look at these words here, if a man find a damsel that is a virgin which is not betrothed, Based on the language of Genesis 34.1, these words are a description of Dinah. There is no indication in Genesis 34 that she is not a virgin. Nor is there any indication that she was betrothed to any man. If a man lay hold on her and lie with her, that's exactly what Shechem did in Genesis 34 and verse 2. And they be found, we read in Genesis 34 and verse 5, that Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Shechem and Dinah were found. What they had done was discovered. Then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father 50 shekels of silver. And she shall be his wife, because he hath humbled her. He may not put her away all his days. Now, when this happened, then the man was to go to the father of the damsel. He was to give her father 50 shekels of silver. In other words, he was to give the girl's father a dowry and gift. And we learn the reason why the man was to do that here in verse 29. It was because he hath humbled her. Notice that word humbled. If you look it up, you find that it's word number 6031 in your Hebrew dictionary, in your Strong's Concordance. That is exactly the same word that we find in Genesis 34 and verse 2. And when Shechem saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. Exact same word. Shechem humbled Dinah. Now to show you the... the, the the consistency of this book to show you the perfection of the message that God has given to us here in his word. The word defiled appears three more times in Genesis chapter 34. It appears in verse 5 and verse 13 and verse 27. But in those verses, it's a different Hebrew word. It's word number 2930, and it means to become impure. 
Shechem defiled Dinah. He humbled her in chapter 34 and verse 2. And in humbling her, she lost something that she could never regain. Shechem took and Dinah was willing to give away her purity. And by using these two different words, the Spirit of God is teaching you something, young people. Something very critical. That your purity is lost in one act of rebellion. And when it is lost, it can never be regained. You ought to think about that. You ought to think about it before you go out and make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Because when you are defiled, when you are humbled, in that moment your purity is lost and it can never be recovered. Now that's not why we've come here to Deuteronomy chapter 22. But it is a point that's worth noting Because in this word humbled here and the word defiled in Genesis 34, we're reminded why the Lord Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The reason that we have come here is to examine this case that we find in verses 28 and 29. And what we find is that the case that is that is described here, I believe, describes exactly what took place between Shechem and Dinah. And so here is Shechem in Genesis chapter 34. Let's go back there, if you will. Here is Shechem in verses 11 and 12, doing exactly, doing exactly what the law of God sets forth almost 300 years later. And the question is, how did he know? How did he know to make this offer to Jacob in the midst of these very circumstances that are written about in Deuteronomy chapter 22? The answer is very important. And the answer brings before our minds a very important biblical truth. It's it's amazing, it's interesting, it's instructive to see how many times in the Old Testament we find demonstrated for us the truth that is plainly stated in the New Testament. The truth that is demonstrated for us here is stated in two portions of Scripture. The first one is John chapter 1 and verse 9 concerning the Lord Jesus And it says that he is the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. The second one is Romans chapter 2 and verse 14 where we read, For when the Gentiles, Shechem, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. 
The word living, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the true light, and he lights every man that cometh into the world. There is no respect of persons with God. He lights every man that cometh into the world with the, the light of the word of God written. And that word is written in the heart of every man, and it manifests itself in their conscience. And so with these principles apply to Shechem? Well, of course they would. That's how this young man knew in these exact circumstances to offer a dowry and a gift as he did. His conscience bore witness and his thoughts accused him. And so he says in verse 12, Ask me never so much dowry and gift. And I will give according as ye shall say unto me, but give me the damsel to wife. This is why I believe verse 19 says that Shechem was more honorable. It's how the Spirit of God described him. The only way that any man can be described as honorable, the only way that any man or woman can enjoy honor is by obedience to the Word of God. And so here is Shechem being obedient to the law of God that's written in his heart. Here is Shechem honoring the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And that brings the contrast between Shechem and the sons of Jacob. It just makes the actions of Simeon and Levi stand out so much more as being cruel and fierce. Because the same law of God that was written in the heart of Shechem was written in the hearts of the sons of Jacob. The same law of God that we just read was written in the hearts of Simeon and Levi as was the law of God that said thou shalt not kill. And yet in their self-will and their rebellion, Simeon and Levi choose to ignore and disobey the law of God that was written in their hearts. They chose to excuse their thoughts and excuse their actions. And the end of that kind of rebellion will always be anger and wrath and cruelty. I think that when we see their actions in the light of these things, we understand why Jacob speaks to Simeon and Levi the way that he does in Genesis chapter 49. But isn't it sad? Isn't it sad that he waits to the end of his life to say what he says to these two sons? Oh, he speaks to them here. Look at verse 30. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, Ye have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. Jacob's words are very interesting here. He refers to Simeon and Levi just one time, but not by name. In just one word, the word ye. Ye. They needed to be addressed right then by name. The rest of the words that Jacob speaks here are about himself 
Eight times in this verse, Jacob refers to himself. Me and my. I. We've talked about Jacob's spiritual condition here. How he's left the place of faith. He has his tent and he has his altar, but he has it in the context of the city of this world. Therefore, the result of that is that he's living without faith. He's living in the place of fear. He's living in the place of doubt. He's fearing the people of the land. He's doubting the word of God who told him back in chapter 28 and verse 15, I'm with thee. I'm going to keep thee in all places whither you're going to go, and I'm going to bring you again into this land. I'm not going to leave you until I've done that which I have told you I'm going to do. And so here's Jacob living in all of this fear and doubt. That is where self will always take us. This is where Jacob is. And he's unwilling to judge himself. Therefore, he's unable to pronounce judgment on his sons. Because Jacob doesn't pronounce judgment on his sons, they proceed to justify what they've done. Look at the question they ask in verse 31. And they said, should he deal with our sister as with an harlot? Here was an opportunity for Jacob to take a stand. Here's an opportunity to say to Simeon and to Levi and to say to Dinah as well that Shechem dealt with your sister as she presented herself to him. He dealt with her the way that she presented herself to him. Young people, young ladies, we're finishing our studies in this chapter today. But don't miss the message. Don't miss the message that's here. If you don't want to be treated as a harlot, then don't present yourself as a harlot. Don't make up your face like a harlot. And don't paint up your eyes like a harlot. And don't wear the clothes of a harlot. Parents, God has put you in charge of your daughters and your sons. It's not the other way around. He's given you the responsibility of training your daughters and your sons in the way that they should go. He's given you the responsibility to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, particularly you fathers. God has given you the responsibility to stand and not give up and not give in, not be weary in well-doing. Jacob should have said, Dinah has sinned. And Simeon and Levi, you have sinned. And I have sinned by compromising and mixing my tent, my altar with the city of this world and expecting something good to come out of it. But when the question is asked in verse 31, Jacob is silent. How about you this morning, dads, moms? Are you going to be silent? Are you going to stand and speak out? Jacob is silent until we get to Genesis chapter 49. I'd like for you to go back there, if you will. It's pretty short distance to turn from Genesis chapter 34 to chapter 49. 
But here in Genesis chapter 49, a period of about 40 years has passed. And under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Israel speaks. And the time period between chapter 34 and chapter 49 is a reminder of something very important. The wheels of God's justice and judgment may grind slowly, but they do grind. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And here in Genesis 49, the sin of Simeon and Levi comes into remembrance before God. And judgment is pronounced. Notice again, verse 7. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce. And their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Who's the I here? It's not Jacob. It's not Israel. Israel has no power to divide Simeon and Levi. He has no power to scatter them in Israel. He's fixing, he's just a few moments from gathering his feet up into his bed and giving up the ghost and leaving this world. So who then is this I that's going to be dividing and scattering Simeon and Levi and Jacob and Israel? It's none other than God himself. He's the one who speaks these words. And he's the one that's going to bring them to pass. Simeon did not have a distinct part in the land of Canaan. He had his inheritance out of the portion and within the inheritance of the tribe of Judah. We find that in Joshua chapter 19. In Numbers chapter 26, when the Lord told Moses to take the sum of the children of Israel from 20 years old and upward, the weakest tribe, the tribe with the fewest number of people, in that category, from 20 years old and upward, was the tribe of Simeon. They had 22,200. In Deuteronomy 33, Moses blesses the children of Israel before he dies. And when you read through this chapter, there's one name. There's one tribe that is missing, and that's Simeon. Simeon was divided in Jacob, and he was scattered in Israel. In Numbers 26, in verse 62, we read concerning the tribe of Levi, and those that were numbered of them were 20 and 3,000. That's the second lowest total among the tribes. It was second only to Simeon. And those that were numbered of them were 20 and 3,000, all males from a month old and upward, for they were not numbered among the children of Israel because there was no inheritance given them among the children of Israel. Levi had no inheritance in the land of Canaan. He wasn't numbered among the children of Israel. The inheritance was according to the number of each tribe. Now we know Levi is going to be the priestly tribe. 
But, but what's interesting here is that what Levi did have was 48 cities assigned to them. 48 cities within the possession of the children of Israel. 48 cities divided to them in Jacob and scattered among Israel. Folks, God's words came to pass just exactly as he had spoken it. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Simeon and Levi did not get away with anything. They didn't escape the consequences of their sin, and neither will you, and neither will I. Can we not see something in all of these things? Here in Genesis 49 and Genesis 34, can we not see the seriousness of sin? We take it so lightly. The sin of Dinah and Shechem and what it led to. It began with a look. It began with a look. James chapter 1 and verse 14 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. That's Shechem. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That's Dinah. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The sin of Dinah and Shechem resulted in the deaths of men who were not involved with these events. And in our minds, we think of those people as innocent as it relates to those things. And we think about that and we say, how terrible. How terrible that the sin of the guilty would cause the death of the innocent. And the Lord likes for us to think that thought. And he likes us to think about that because our sin, my sin, and your sin, the sin of the guilty caused the death of the only one who is or ever has been or who will ever be truly and totally innocent. Our sin caused the death of God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross of Calvary is where the sin of the guilty caused the death of the innocent Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He took our sin upon himself and he shed his blood as payment in full that you and I might have life. Do you know him today? Do you know him today? Have you taken your place as guilty? Before the innocent Lamb of God and bowed your knee and humbled your heart and acknowledged that He took the place that I deserve and the place that you deserve. And if we'll call upon Him, if we'll turn to Him in repentance and faith, 
He'll save our souls. What an amazing thing to consider. And you can trust him as your savior right where you are. If we know him today, is there sin in our life? One of the things that Shechem and Dinah's sin teaches us is that we don't sin in a vacuum. Our sin impacts the lives of the people around us. Our sin brings destruction to our own lives, and it can bring death. There is a sin unto death, John tells us, in the life of the child of God. If there's sin in our life today, we know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. We need to confess it and forsake it. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for these lessons from your word. You, you've put all of these things that happened here in the Old Testament, you've put them here for our learning you put them here for our admonition. You put them here so that we can see the personal message to our lives. To the end that if we're lost, we might trust you as our Savior. And to the end that we're saved, we would see the need to confess and forsake our sin. To turn away from that which is so destructive in our lives and can be so destructive in the lives of the people around us. We pray that you would help us to think about these things today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.